Welcome to Elevate, the podcast where we dissect exceptional achievers who are consistently raising the bar personally and professionally to produce extraordinary results in investment real estate and ultimately in their lives. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here and I'm blessed and grateful for the second time to be sitting here with my friend, John Kasman. John, how are you, sir? I'm doing excellent, Tyler. Thank you for having me again. Love it, man. It's, uh, it's unfortunate that we're not sitting shoulder to shoulder, but it's probably good because maybe you might have the coronavirus. I might have the <laughs> coronavirus. I don't know, but uh, it's crazy times we're living in, huh? Yeah, this is, uh, you know, it's crazy because in some regards, I feel this is unprecedented, right? At least in our lifetime. I haven't seen anything like this. And I've, I've been trying to compare this to something, you know, and I think 9-11 may be the closest thing that I could compare this to, just the uncertainty, the, the frantic nature of things, uh, the running out and filling up on gas and toilet paper and all that. But it's not even that. I mean, I was watching this documentary called Pandemic, and I fell asleep on it. So my wife probably knows more about what happened. But it talks about the bird flu and just like the, you know, going back to like 1918 and, you know, the craziness that was happening then and how many people actually died. And it's just a good reminder that, you know, while it's easy to brush off, you know, these things that happen as uh, scare tactics or media hoax or whatever you want to call it. The reality is, is that things can get really out of hand if you're not proactive. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all owe it as a responsibility to ourselves, our family, our friends, and the general public to do what's best for ourselves to stay protected and, and healthy and uh, not either contract the virus and definitely not to, to spread it if you can. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. It's, uh, it's certainly one of those events that's like, man, you didn't see this coming. And I'm reading a book right now called The Black Swan in, I guess, maybe memorializing the whole situation, but it certainly feels like a black swan. You know, it's impacting so many people's lives, you know, but uh, you know what? One thing this made me think of recently is that there's a lot of people, in my opinion, that look at this and say, all right, this is my excuse. This is my excuse. And of course, we've got to be smart. We have to be smart. You have to, you know, do what you have to do to protect yourself, your family, your loved ones, and other people. You got to be smart about how you can potentially hurt other people by not, you know, being vigilant and so on and so forth. But I also think that, you know what, it's March, what is it, March 13th today, we're sitting down and we're two months you know, removed from January 1st, when people said, Hey, you know what, I'm inspired about 2020, the next decade, let's do it, we'll do anything it takes. And and now, you know, you have uh, an opportunity that, you know, that it could be a roadblock here. And it's like, all right, are we going to go through the roadblock? Or are we just going to really stop and, and say that this is our excuse? I, I just find that that is the other piece of this whole situation. Do you see that? Absolutely. I mean, I think you're spot on, right? I mean, everything that happens, you know, is either an opportunity or an obstacle. It just depends on how you want to look at it. And I think this is a huge opportunity for a lot of people. Um, if you can take advantage of it, it's a great chance. You know, I mean, think about how we've all been talking about the scarcity of deals and how things are overpriced and it's so competitive. Well, there are probably going to be a lot of people that step back and say, you know what? I don't want to do this. So for those of you who have been looking for opportunities, it's a great opportunity. You know, this is it. This is a great opportunity to get in. And you're probably going to have investors who 
are looking at their stock portfolio, who are ready to pull out that capital and put it to work for something else, who recognize that they need more diversification in their portfolio. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity and it just really comes down to the actions and the steps that you're taking to stay ready, right? I mean, just to stay ready. I don't say get ready. I mean, stay ready because you should have already been ready, but hopefully you're taking the steps to stay ready. And if you haven't been ready, now's the chance. Now's that time, the opportunity to get there. And, and by all means, what we're talking about is really being intelligent and sophisticated and not being aggressive and just swinging at the wind. But, you know, continue to take shots and just, you know, identify your opportunities and where it makes sense to place bets and to, to take some mitigated risk. But be mindful and responsible, but make sure you stay in the game. Don't use this as an, as an excuse to tap out or to run and go do something else. But find the opportunity and, and make sure you take advantage of it. Stay ready um, is absolutely a great message that we all need to be, you know, kind of anchoring within our own identity, staying ready. Um, you know, what can we do to train ourselves for each and every un, you know, unforeseen moment? Because you know what? Life is uncertain. Business is uncertain. So what can we do to stay ready? So man, with that said, what a great, uh, what a great way to start the conversation. I want to welcome Elevate Nation back to the show. Our mission is to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. We're going to take it to another level today because, you know, we're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about strategies. We're going to talk about habits, routines, systems, tools, you know, to elevate to a life without limits through real estate, through personal growth, um, you know, through staying ready, through training ourselves and elevate to a life without limits, uh, you know, so we can do that for others as well. It doesn't just have to be you know, something that we hold within ourselves. But this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through real estate investing and ultimately in their lives. And certainly, I just want to make a plug, you know, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to it, give us a five star rating, a review. It helps. We're trying to reach this message to millions of people. Uh, because the next coronavirus that comes along, we're all going to be staying ready at that point. We're going to capitalize. We're going to create opportunities. We're going to create safety and, and uh, prosperity for others. But with that said, I want to introduce you again to my friend, John Kasman. And John is a real estate entrepreneur who has partnered with busy professionals to invest in close to $90 million worth of apartments. John hosts the Target Market Insights podcast, where he covers multifamily and marketing insights. In addition, he is the co-creator of the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit, a no-pitch event to connect like-minded investors, which is coming up in May, right, John? That's right, May 16th and 17th. May 16th and 17th. We will absolutely put links in the show notes uh, so you can learn more about that and so you can get your tickets then. And also, I uh, wanted to just wrap up you know, the, the introduction here with you know, John. With a background in marketing, he has overseen campaigns for General Motors, Nike, and Coors Light, amongst others. John was even recognized by Black Enterprise Magazine as one of the top executives in advertising and marketing. And so, John, with that said, man, uh, I know we've already had one very brief discussion um, you know, prior to this in Colorado, but... Uh, Tell the listeners a little bit more about John, the man behind the bio. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. You know, when uh, whenever I hear the bio, I never know where to start, right? So it's yeah. like, how much do you, how much time do you have? What are we <laughs> going to talk about? Get comfortable. Uh, 
Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I think the big thing is for many of your listeners, right? They're, we're all trying to elevate, right? We're all trying to figure out how do we take our lives to the next level. And um, for me, I think the, the appropriate place to start is, you know, in corporate America. So I was working in corporate America, living the dream, as they like to say. And I wasn't really living a dream, you know, in some regards, things were great. You know, I was a young executive. I was being recognized by different publications and had a big ad budget to go out and do fun, cool projects. Went out to Super Bowl and the Final Four and, uh, you know, TV sets and Hollywood parties and all that kind of stuff. Um, but as I looked up at my bosses and the lifestyle and work-life balance, that just didn't seem to be there. Um, and at the time, it's kind of eerie because I worked there from 2007 or in my, my first big corporate job in, at General Motors from 2007 to 2011, where we went into bankruptcy and had the economic downturn. So as we're sitting here and watching the stock market kind of collapse in front of us, a lot of this feels somewhat familiar. And I will tell you that one of the big challenges was sitting there trying to figure out your options. Because if you tie everything to your job, to your stock options, to again, kind of the life that corporate America has created, you feel a little bit trapped, you know, and you kind of bought into this dream or to this expectation without really having the ability to control what happens for you. So, you know, anyone who's listening to this, if you're in that situation, you may be trying to figure out, okay, well, how can I get control back? How do I, while I love this job, or even if you hate your job, um, how do I stay in control of how I take care of my family? how I earn an income, how I, you know, diversify all these different things. So at that moment, I kind of turned to real estate. I didn't really know how to get started, but I knew real estate was the one thing I kept hearing about and reading about that felt like the right avenue for us. Uh, so essentially, I ended up uh, leaving gym and moving out of Detroit and moved to Chicago uh, when I got married with my wife and we sat down, had a big conversation and we knew real estate was something we wanted to be in specifically multifamily. So we kind of started with the house hack and then, you know, really started to build the portfolio from there. I love it. I'd love to take it back, you know, a few steps as well, like growing up. I mean, were you, did you have that entrepreneurial spirit as a kid? Um, and if so, could you maybe give us an example? And if not, maybe tell us that as well, but I'd be curious to know, did you have, uh, was there any moments early on that you sort of identified that you were creative and you were resourceful as entrepreneurs are? Yeah, it's funny because uh, I'm kind of the, I like to think of myself as a balance between the entrepreneurial upbringing as well as that kind of just a solid employee, right? Um, so I was entrepreneurial, but um, I always had a great, you know, uh, framework of how to create. So my first call it a hustle. It wasn't even like an entrepreneurial skill, right? My first hustle was like candy. You know, I was like in second or third grade and would buy, I don't know if you remember, man, or how old you are, but they used to have these, these blue blow pops that came out, you know? Oh, yeah. And I remember when they were, they were new and I, we bought them. There was a corner store right around um, from the school. And I, I bought like, I don't know, like $3 worth. They were 10 cents. So I bought like $3 worth, which is like what, 30 blow pops or something like that. Um, and then I took them to the school and I'd sell them for a quarter. And uh, I did this for like three days and I was doing great. You know what I mean? I was hustling and set them in the back of the class for a quarter, making 15 cent profit each one. And of course, my teacher kind of saw me in the back and 
pulled me to the front, called my mom, told her what I was doing. And uh, that crushed that business. And uh, the next one was same, I think still same grade, uh, was video games. So this is before you had like the different exchanges out there and all of that. So I'd have a game, people get tired of playing it. I would go and trade them and sell them with a little bit of an upcharge uh, to other kids. So we would get Blades of Steel or whatever Nintendo games and, and sell them to other kids at a little bit of a premium. And uh, same thing happened. Teachers saw me and called my mom and that was the end of that business. So, uh, so to an extent we had, I used to go into nail salons and hair salons. My stepmother used to buy these uh, gloves, you know, the, the, the uh, box of gloves. She got them for a dollar. I go into the, the salons, a little cute, you know, 10 year old kid and I'd sell them for three bucks. Right. So, um, that's when I really learned about business because in my head, I got $3 for the box of gloves and I was going to split that with my partner 50, 50, you know, and when we got back to the house and started breaking it down, my cut was small because I didn't negotiate my pay up front. So she was like, well, there's a dollar for the, the box, right. Or for the gloves. So you got to take that off first. And then there's gas. So I drove around the city for you to sell these. So I got to take out the gas money. Then it was my idea, you know, and I did everything. I put up all the capital to make this thing happen. So I'm taking a larger chunk. So I did all that and I made like 30 cents a box. And I was like, I quit. Uh, this is a job. This is not the business I thought I was getting. I quit. Uh, but we had, we sat down, we had a deep conversation about business and about McDonald's. And if you go order a, a burger at McDonald's, you don't get to keep the money as the cashier, right? Like there's big overhead. There's the, the cost for the product. There's cost for all the infrastructure. There's real estate costs. Um, so that was the first time I really started to understand the real business side of entrepreneurialism and anything, right? So all the costs that get involved and just how to structure deals. And the biggest lesson I learned was negotiate your compensation up front so you understand what you're doing and you're not in a situation where you've done all this work and you're getting just a, a measly piece of the pie. Are you someone who is looking to seriously elevate your life this year? I mean, now, this year, 2020, because I want to let you know that I am currently opening up a few coaching spots for people like you who want to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be. And I want to invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. I have to tell you, this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are defiantly committed, those who are decisive, those who are coachable, those who are resourceful. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to sacrifice time, energy, and invest resources into themselves to get to where they want to be, to live life at the highest level, and to elevate to a life without limits, exactly what we talked about on this show. If that is you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. Walk me through the emotional residue of this experience as, you know, a child who's creating, you know, opportunities or creating sort of margin with, you know, certain products or whatever it may be, whether it's a blow pop or, you know, a video game or what have you. Talk to me about, I mean, how did that feel as you started to find these opportunities and you started to realize you're creating value? And then also when you got shut down, maybe a couple of times, and then also when you learned, wow, there's actually overhead. So maybe I didn't budget appropriately. I mean, talk to me, what, what was that progression like? Yeah. I mean, I think starting out, like you certainly weren't thinking about the business implication. You know, we just didn't have a whole lot and I was pretty scrappy. And I mean, I walked a lot. I walked to school. I, my mom would give me money for the bus 
I'd pocket it and I'd walk so I could save $5. Um, so that was the kid I was, you know, I was a kid, you gave me 10 bucks to buy bus tickets. I put $10 in my pocket and I walked to school and I walked home and I, I, I looked at it as $10. So then I took the $10 and bought the blow pops and did whatever. Um, so, I mean, I think it was, I don't really see it as being entrepreneurial or even enterprising as much as being a bit resourceful with the means mm-hmm. that I had available to me and trying to figure out how to stretch it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, getting shut down was something that, you know, you kind of anticipate, right. I mean, you know, it's against the rules, so uh, you kind of anticipated it, but just not really understanding the why behind it. Or I, I, what I wish I could have done back then was figure out how, you know, if I, if I could have, if I could have asked one more question, well, how can I do this without getting in trouble? You know, to both my mom mm. and to the school, that probably really would have opened up the doors. It's like, oh, it's just not here on the school grounds. Okay, great. Let me do it here. Let me do it at recess. Let me not, it's just not in class, but just understanding the rules a little bit better. So we probably could have made better decisions. But yeah. I think the residue of it really is about um, perseverance and, and continue to educate yourself. I, I would say anything that the glove business <laughs> was a one-time thing that I thought was going to be a little, and we spent a th- few hours driving around the city and I was like, man, I just made 60 bucks in my head. I thought I made 60 bucks. So to do all that and get 20 bucks, I was like, oh man, wait a minute. I just like for three hours to get 20 bucks, like, no, this is not worth my time. This is not, and this business doesn't work without me because no one's going to go buy these gloves from an adult. You know, they need a little cute kid to go in there. So it's like the Girl Scouts, right? If you had grown women walking around telling you they had these Girl Scout cookies, you'd be like, I'll just buy cookies from the store. I'm good. But, you know, a little cute kid comes up and she's doing it for a good cause. You know, you'll stroke the check for a few boxes. Yeah, no, I find it interesting. Um, you know, I'm curious, you know, with this experience, I mean, how did this, you know, looking back, did this really impact you into how you're an entrepreneur now, how you're an investor now? Or was it more so, hey, look, I've always been resourceful and I continue to, you know, go down that path and doing anything it takes? Or, you know, was this experience something that supported you in the growth you've had as an entrepreneur? It's interesting because I I think I pivoted, right? So I think I went from focusing on the entrepreneurial side to focusing more on how do I create sustainability, right? So it's le- it was less about swinging for the fences and trying to you know, just create, and it was more like, hey, how do I get a great job that's going to pay me where I don't have to worry about everything working all the time? Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of pivoted to that once I had my first real job, right? At 13 years old, I had my first real job. I was like, oh, you guys are going to pay me. All I have to do is show up, basically, show up and do what I would probably do anyway. And you guys are going to pay me a set amount of money. Great. And I think as you're young, it's a fallacy that you get caught up in, but it's great because. I knew I was going to make X amount of dollars. So all I do is show up. If customers came, they didn't come, not on me. I didn't have to solve everything. I just had to show up for work. Um, So I think that was it. But obviously, even in that, even in a place where you were an employer, for me as an employee, I was still enterprising in a sense of recognizing that there were challenges or better ways to do things. And, you know, hey, maybe we should change the work schedule because, you know, from this time to this time, we don't have that many customers. So why don't we go down to one cashier And, you know, we could probably send someone home. Like I was doing that at 16, you know, Mm -hmm. looking at the business operations and giving feedback. So that part of it and observing has really always been a part of it. So I think that's helped me in business and helped me understand what it takes to do a good job to get it done, to not just look at a clock, see it's five o'clock and jet out, 
but understand like, hey, no, there's a, there's an assignment, there's a project we're trying to do, let's get it done. So I think that has always served me. I think understanding my compensation though has always been something I've been trying to figure out and understanding your true value because that's been the tricky part is understanding, well, what, what am I worth? And even going back to that kid selling gloves, you know, I was told, well, you were worth $20. I didn't think that was true because I knew the business couldn't operate without I me. Mean, that was the last time we did anything with that business. Um, but I wasn't sure what it was worth. Was it worth 60? Was it worth 80? Was it worth 30? I wasn't sure how to quantify it. And I think a lot of people who work that W2 lifestyle, it's not that they just love the job. It's not even that many of them love the comfort of getting a paycheck. I mean, that's certainly a big part of it, but I think they don't know how to value themselves. If you don't look at monster.com or, you know, uh, uh, you know, some of these websites that have a list of salaries and you pick a salary that you feel, you know, you could take, how do you value it yourself? You know, are you worth a hundred thousand dollars? Are you worth a quarter million dollars? Are you worth a half a million dollars a year? It's hard to figure out that number without, you know, taking some metrics and, and going out and interviewing or doing something like that. So I think that's really the hardest part is just being able to place a number to your time and putting a value on what you provide from a business standpoint. Yeah. And I think that employees, you know, everybody says, you know, it's like the, the hot word or hot button topic right now is that you know, everybody should be an entrepreneur. And, and I don't believe that's the case. I think that, you know, there's definitely a time and place for you to operate within an organization and to create value for an organization. But I find it to be very interesting that everyone is a free agent. I think that that's kind of a little bit of a concept. Maybe that's a shift, you know, based on the past several decades. And it may have not always been that way because folks have been so loyal to one organization. But being a free agent, you're almost an entrepreneur in an organization. So I think it's exciting to realize that you have an opportunity to add value and then also understand your own true value, you know, to an employer. Because employers, you know, and entrepreneurs, the only way that they're going to be successful is if they build a great team. Um, so I, I just think that the world can't go around if we're all just, you know, you know, lone wolves or whatever it may be. So I appreciate you highlighting that for sure. So talk to yeah. me. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I think to your point as well, it's um, the, the part that people miss is, especially if you want to be in multifamily investing or some of these other things, a lot of times you have to be a part of a team, you know. Um, if you really want to be a lone wolf, you want to buy eight units and that's your break number. Cool. Like you can absolutely do that. But if you want to do some of the large deals, I know you're doing that we're working on. Um, you can't do that by yourself. So whether you're collecting a W2 salary or you are a general partner on a deal, the workflow, the freedom, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's still a amount of work that needs to get done, you know, and, you know, you, there, it requires a certain mindset to be able to do that. So um, just understanding that those things are not mutually exclusive and um, it, it's great to just have the right mindset and figure out what opportunity, whether you're working a W-2 job or you're working within a partnership or you just want to do your own thing. If you truly just want to do your own thing and just, you know, have financial freedom and get, you know, step out of, the regular work life, completely understand that. That's a whole different scenario. But I do think that a lot of people actually enjoy working with people. Even as a solo entrepreneur, you probably still have clients. So either way, I mean, if you work for a law firm or you know you're a, you have your independent practice, the work is similar. You're just trying to figure out how do you get compensated for it, right? If you feel like, hey, if I do this for myself, 
I might be able to make more money. That makes complete sense versus the person who just says, hey, I, I hate corporate life. I hate working a job. I just want to go buy three single family houses and live off of that completely different dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, what we're talking about is doing big things and, and, and exceeding, you know, the limits that many have placed on themselves. And, you know, with that said, John, I'd love to know, you know, what are you doing now to raise the bar in your business? I know you guys are acquiring, you know, multifamily assets in several markets and, and doing big things. So I'd love to know, you know, how are you raising the bar? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing we're trying to do is focus on our investors, right? Building out our investor database, connecting with people, learning more about them, what they're looking for. Um, as we're talking today, there's obviously a lot of unrest with the markets. What's going on? What should I be investing in? Um, what's our plan? Should we be refinancing properties? Should we be buying more properties? Should we be selling properties? There's a lot of you know, questions that we're fielding and, and conversations that we're having with investors. But the biggest thing we're looking to do is continue to elevate those conversations, bringing new investors into our portfolio and into the mix, and continue to find good deals that make sense to operate. So the way we do that are you know, having conversations like this with you and your audience, you know, continue to build our brand to connect with others, uh, working on a lot of our, our marketing tactics and strategies to continue to kind of cast a wider net, as well as looking at more deals and identifying the right partnerships to continue to, to grow, to excel, and to elevate our business. Yeah, I love the uh, I love the plugs there for elevate a few times, elevate the conversations, elevate the business. I appreciate that. Only um, the last one was intentional. So if I did it otherwise, that was good and natural. We have planted the seeds into John Kasman's <laughs> mind, everybody. I love it. I'm excited. Uh, so talk to me, you know, if you're a passive investor in today's environment, you know, right now it's March 13th, 2020. Coronavirus is going crazy. People are going crazy. You know, obviously people are asking about refinancing. Of course, I mean, that's that's been the one of the heaviest things that we've been working on this week as well. Of course, interest rates continue to to fall and perhaps they're stabilizing at least for over the past couple of days from what I'm seeing. But you know, what what are you what are passive investors have, you know, specifically discussing with you over the short term? So I mean, I think there's, you know, there's the <clears throat> there's the existing properties where, hey, with the market doing what it's doing, is there an opportunity to be uh, to take advantage of it? And it kind of depends on the deal. You know, most of our deals, there really isn't an opportunity right now because we're in the middle of the value add for a couple of them. We have prepayment penalties on other deals and we, we're not far enough along in our execution on other deals, right? So there really isn't for us at this moment, but I will say that if you're in a deal and you're gonna refi in six months or four months, it may be worth taking a look to say, hey, let's go ahead and, and, and do this, let's refi. Uh, from an investment standpoint, you know, is now the right time to be investing in multifamily? I say yes, but I also believe that there's always the right time to be investing in multifamily. Yeah. And the reason I say it like that is I think too many people try to time the market. You know, if you want to time the market, multifamily investing is probably not the right thing for you if that's what you want to focus on. Multifamily investing is about the long haul. Even if you're doing syndications on a, with a three to seven year hold period, it's still about the longer term trajectory. You know, it's not like flipping a house where you're trying to get in and out in 90 days or 120 days or something like that. It's not wholesaling. It's not you know, time in the market where you're going to wait for the Disney stock to plummet and then pour in and get it at an option or something like that. Right. So 
because of that, I think it, the consistency is the most important thing. Buying multifamily allows you the flexibility to sell when it makes sense to sell. And if you're putting the proper loans on these properties, you can wait it out. You know, whether the market's great, hopefully it continues to rise. If it starts to dip, hopefully you can wait it out until it starts to, to correct. But the beauty is the reason you can do that is you're getting cash flow in place now. So you get that cash flow and then you pick and choose when it makes sense to sell. So it's a great time to remind investors of that. You know, these are some of the benefits that we've always loved. This is part of the reason you wanted to diversify a multifamily to shield yourself a little bit from the chaos of the stock market. And that means not riding the, the, uh, the, the roller coaster as high as it goes, but it also means not falling as low as it dips. And you have something that is giving you cash flow that is going to be a great hedge against inflation, but not to mention that you still have these awesome tax benefits that you can take as well. So we're just reminding investors of those things. And I think it's a good point to look at it. And the other thing that is really important is with stocks, you can always see the value of your portfolio. And people don't talk about this enough, but there is a um, psychological component where if you can look and see that stocks drop 10% today and you look at your portfolio and you had a million dollars and now you have $900,000, you know you just lost $100,000. With multifamily, you can't do that. You can't just be like, oh man, I just lost 10% of value in my real estate portfolio. If the cash flow is there, you don't even care. The value only matters the day you buy it and the day you sell it. So as long as you have flexibility to determine the day you sell it, you're going to be good. You know, as long as it's a cash flowing asset and you have, you know, uh, components built into your model where you you anticipate higher vacancy and things like that. Maybe some economic vacancy where people maybe are struggling to pay rent. So you may have some people who uh, have a harder time paying rent during these these rough times. But if you have that built into your model, um, the value of it doesn't matter as much. And when you have that stock market, the reason it's important is if you see it drop a hundred, you know, ten percent, and you lose a hundred thousand dollars, naturally you're you're thinking, what happens if it drops another ten percent tomorrow? Yep. Do I stop the bleeding now, or do I ride it out? You know, and if that continues to compound, the anxiety starts to kick in. You know, it's like, well, what do I do? And inaction doesn't feel right. Doing nothing does not feel like the right answer, even if it is the right answer. And that's the hard thing that you have to struggle with as an investor is you know you can pull your money out and you're not taking action, but you're just watching it fall, right? And it, it's tough for people to just sit there and watch it fall or to react, especially if that's not your nature. So um, that's the hard part as an investor. And I think you have to kind of understand yourself a little bit more and ask yourself, can I sit here and literally look at it and just watch it drop? Or do you set it and forget it and never log in? Don't double check what it is, rip up the reports. You don't want to know, don't want to care, just straight up, you know, uh, put your head in, head in the sand. I think those are your options, right? And it's kind of tough to either be in either camp because one is of ignorance and the other is just straight anxiety and panic. So it's kind of tough when you are focused on the stock market. But again, multifamily gives you more a peace of mind as long as the underlying components of your underwriting and the deals you're in are solid.
Yeah, I mean, very well said. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to, you know, a few things I wanted to highlight there, because there's so much wisdom, is number one, timing the market is probably not going to be in your best interest, no matter what you're doing as an investor, because, you know what, the world is, is all about unforeseen events, you know, it's all about uncertainty, it's all about you know, the unexpected. So I think expecting the unexpected is probably a good practice to undertake within your own uh, philosophies. But, you know, the other thing that we love about real estate is that it's illiquid to a certain degree. And, you know, even if you're investing in a syndication and your expectation is to hold for three to seven years, you should still have the potential outside contingency plan that you're going to hold that deal for longer. And so what does that look like? You know, and, and, and does that cash flow still, you know, something that you're interested in, you know, from that trajectory and, you know, because timing the market, I mean, no one can predict this, you know, everyone, I remember you and I, we were in Colorado, you know, what was it a month ago, three weeks ago, and we're talking about, you know, what is the, uh, how much longer does this kind of, you know, trajectory go? And we're talking about, well, we may be in the 12th inning of the ninth inning game, but you know what, we probably have five to seven years who knew that, you know, two weeks later, this total unforeseen event now is quarantining, you know, the largest GDP on the planet in terms of the United States of America, of course, many other countries, I mean, the entire planet is impacted by this. So I just find it to be so fascinating, you can never expect what's happening next. So as an investor, what do you do? You've got to, you know, sort of cultivate the appropriate psychology, you know, one of which that, you know, has some equanimity that says, Hey, when times are good, you know, I'm still being vigilant. And when times are challenging, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not panicking, I'm not overreacting. So I'd be curious as to, you know, how does psychology sort of, you know, what kind of approach do you take as an investor yourself and, and also a leader of other investors in terms of, cultivating an appropriate psychology to be a successful long-term investor. First of all, you said equanimity. Is that the word you said? Equanimity. Yes. Are you familiar with the concept? I've never even heard that word in my life before, man. Google it, baby. Google it. I love it. <laughs> so I learned about equanimity uh, from a meditation teacher uh, a couple of years ago. And really what it's all about is staying in the middle. You know, it's like, when the highs, the highs are up here, the lows are down here. So you're disappointed, you're down in the dumps, you're on the lows, right? You're excited, you just had a big win, you just closed a huge deal. You know, your ego's feeling very happy about itself. You're all up here. So the question is, how can I stay in the middle? And so equanimity is all about, you know what? Everything's impermanent. You know what? You know, today is what it is. Tomorrow is what it is. This moment will pass, whether it's good or bad. Everything's impermanent. So. Um, you know, I think it's a practice, uh, something that I've had to actually, I was talking to somebody about this this week is that, you know, I feel like I've been training for this moment, you know, this moment for, you know, the past 10 years or so. It's like, it's everything's been good. But what do we do when things are bad? Right? What do we how do we handle that from an emotional perspective? And that's why I ask about psychology, because I, I see a lot of panic, I get people calling me, it's like, what should we do? You know, what's going on? It's like, look, guys, like, let's, let's take a deep breath here. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, one, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, I love the vocabulary and, uh, <laughs> we're going to incorporate equanimity into, um, our, our vernacular for the next week just yes. to see how many people ask me about it. So, uh, <laughs> I have to tell give them, you a shot. Tell them there. Elevate Nation told you about that. Uh, listen, I'm a, I'm a very, 
accomplished reader. So I'm just going to tell them that I've read it in a book and wanted to incorporate <laughs> okay. it into my vernacular. Uh, no, all about elevation. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think you hit on a couple of things, right? You know, as anyone who's an investor, part of what we have to focus on is calm, staying calm, staying focused on underlying principles and not getting overly emotional about decisions. You know, it's very easy to do that. Um, as an example, I got a call earlier today that uh, we did not win a bid that I was in for best and final. There were 20 offers put in. We were in the top four. And uh, we came back with our best and final offer after talking to a couple of folks that I really respect and uh, got some consultation on their, their take on the deal. And um, we, we came in what I felt was a pretty, pretty good offer, pretty strong offer. And the broker called me back and basically told me, listen, um, we have um, a couple of offers that are half a million dollars more than yours. We have $100,000 hard cash day one. And we have um, a 45-day closing window. And I was like, yeah, those are all better terms than what I could give you right now. So uh, makes sense, right? Now, the emotional thing is to try to run and bump up my numbers and, oh, yeah, we can do this. We can match right. it. But, you know, we had other concerns with the deal. So it's time to pass. And I think the key is you have to stay true to your process. Um, continue to swing. Continue to take shots and focus on the process, not the results. And in this case, you know, for, uh, I'll use it to real estate investing. Um, how many deals are you analyzing? How many offers are you putting in? I think if you focus on those two metrics, um, understanding what your criteria is, if you focus on those two metrics, you will know success. And you should maybe on a quarterly basis or every month, you should figure out, hey, am I doing enough? You know, I mean, should I be taking more shots? Should I be underwriting more deals? Should I be... Um, looking at more opportunities and that will inform do you switch markets do you change your criteria whatever but focusing on the two fundamental things is really what's key it's like if you're gonna be a great athlete or a great basketball player well how many shots are you taking a day you know focus on that don't focus on what you make just focus on getting to the gym taking a thousand shots 500 shots whatever it is and that's something that you know i continue to work on myself as well and when I look at, okay, hey, we didn't have success in the business, then you go back through the journal and say, well, how many, how many deals did you underwrite? Well, not enough is the answer, right? Not enough. So you have to understand some of that we can't control, but on the same note, you have to continue to stay disciplined. I think that's really the key is figuring out what you need to do and do those things. And don't let the outside noise get to you. Um, I was at an event and... Um, you know, one, I was at an event and someone was talking about the outside noise, the pressures from kind of the Facebook group and looking at peers and the success that other people are having, the deals that they're closing and letting that really make them feel like they're not doing enough or the deals they are doing, which were smaller units, um, feeling less significant, right? And that's just not true. I mean, you, you can't really let what other people are doing change the way you view yourself unless you see that you're playing small and you could be playing bigger and you want to use that as proof points to say, Hey, I could probably be playing at a bigger, a bigger level. I think that's fine, but you should never uh, disqualify the things that you're already doing or, you know, discredit, um, you know, the actions you're taking, just find ways to step your game up and put in a little bit more work. I think just staying even kill is a skill and it takes practice, but you kind of have to lock into what you're doing 
the processes and fall in love with the mundane process and those mundane steps to really see the pro- the progress and the results that you're looking for. Yeah, and it's not an easy thing to do. I know that for sure is focusing on the process and not the results. Obviously, you know, if you can control the controllables, you know, that's the wise thing to do. But, you know, I know myself and many who are listening today who say, well, man, come on, it's all about results. You know, at the end of the day, it's all about results. At times, um, that's our thought. At least that's the, that's the voice in our mind that tells us that. But I know that you would probably agree with this is that the results come when you just focus on the process, you fall in love with the process and you know, you, you fall in love with the mundane, as you mentioned. So talk to me about what does that mundane look like for you? I mean, what's the day in and day out process look like from John Kasman's corner? Mundane. <laughs> um, that's <laughs> what it looks like. Um, you know, there are a couple things, right? So the one, you're right. Let me go back. The results do matter. And the key, though, is to analyze what you're doing that can lead to better results. Because at the end of the day, you analyze a thousand deals and you don't do a deal, you're going you're gonna to feel that, right? I mean, you're, it's going to be discouraging. You're going to be disappointed. But I think you do have to focus on, hey, I did my deal a day or I did, you know, whatever that step is. And then what you can do if you're doing those steps just like anyone else. I mean, if you shoot a thousand shots, but you're still shooting a 20% rate, part of what you need is a coach or someone to look at you and say, yeah, hey, flick your wrist like this or do this or pivot, right? So you need that coaching to take a look at what you're doing so they can help you adjust. And it's the same thing here. If you're putting in the work, then it's a matter of, okay, well, let's take a look at what you're actually doing and figure out where you're missing opportunities or how you can adjust your game. And sometimes we just got to humble ourselves to ask. You know, um, if you see somebody doing deals, sometimes you won't like the answer um, or it may not fit or mesh with kind of your, um, your, your, your belief system or your thought process. Uh, but at least you can understand more of what's going on. Um, as far as the mundane for me, it, it starts with trying to wake up as early as we can. Um, we're, we're at 530 now. Um, I'm, I would try to get to five, but, you know, it gets difficult. And I say try just because there's a back end to it, right? Um, you know, how, how early I go to bed impacts how early I wake up. So, and then also how much we have to do in a day. Um, taking a look at what we do, you know, we have the podcast, we have the different marketing tactics to go out and reach people and communicate our, our voice and our message to other folks. Um, we analyze a certain number of deals a week. So we're looking at increasing that, but also trying not to overstress because the other part of this is you just feel like you have so much to do that you get burned out or you feel like, again, that, that pressure kicks in, the anxiety kicks in and figuring out what you can offload on your plate. So just really trying to take inventory of what am I doing on a daily basis? What's successful? What's working? Um, what's not, what do I hate doing and how else can I get this done? You know, can I just delete this? There's like four D's, right? Uh, when something comes across your plate, you can either do it, you can delegate it, you can delete it or you can defer it. And those are your options with emails, with any conversation, with any project or any next step. Those are the four options you have. So just constantly evaluating those things. You know, is this something that I can do later? How long will this take? Can I just do it now? Um, can I delegate this to somebody else? Can my VA do this? Can my analyzer do this? Or my analyst do this? I mean, 
Um, or is it something that's not really important to me and we can just delete? Like, I don't know. We're not going to do it at all. Um, so just kind of going through that, I think is really important to do that on a consistent basis and put those kind of things on autopilot. Um, and then I would say the other thing for, for us is uh, recognizing that we have some non-negotiables. And if you can get your non-negotiables to the point where they're automated, it makes life easier. For instance, the podcasting, you know, it's, it, it's become a non-negotiable for us. You know, we do the podcast, we're recording our shows, we're putting out our content, we are connecting with other investors, we're getting our word out there. I don't need a push for that. I don't need a reminder for that. I know twice a week, my show needs to go out. My editor's working on the edits, kicks it over, we do what we do, we make sure they go live. So that, I don't want to say it's autopilot because I still have to record the episodes and just kind of have the forecast and all that. But there are other things that are more difficult. Like I don't really love underwriting. I'm good at it, but I don't love it. So I have to like force myself and time block to say, okay, we're going to wake up in the morning. We're going to underwrite one deal before I do anything else. We're going to underwrite this deal. We're going to go to the numbers and we're either going to put an offer. Or we're going to kick it to the rest of the team and get the take. Right. So you have to kind of time block or uh, some, you know, I had a woman on my show, Karen Briscoe, and she talked about activity blocking. Um, so it's a little bit of a nuance, but activity blocking. So, there's set time for the things that are important in our business, but are maybe easy to fall off the plate because they're not as time sensitive. The good thing about the podcast is they're time sensitive. They go out twice a week. So either it's ready to go out on Tuesday and Friday or it's not. So I can, it's easy to hold myself accountable to a real deadline versus analyzing a deal. Okay. Well, when's the offer due? The offer is due in five weeks. <clears throat> All right. Well, I don't really have to analyze that today. So those are the things where, trying to just get ahead of it and be more disciplined are really key to yourself. How did you just out of curiosity, how did you categorize your non-negotiables? And I mean, was that a process for you? Was that a brainstorm process with others or how did that work for you? You know what? I'll be really transparent with you here. Um, I'm really good when it comes to public accountability. Okay. So it's pretty easy for the world to take a look and ask them, and right now, I'm, I'm, my podcast is supposed to be out, and it's still not out. So when we hang up, that's what I got to I gotta hit the, the <laughs> publish button, right? Um, but I'm good with public accountability because the world can see that. They can see whether I did something or not. You know, the world's not worried about whether or not John stayed up last night and analyzed it, the deal or if he did it this morning, you know, and that's where it gets a little easier to, to slide. But when it's public stuff, it's easier because we care about our reputation. We care about the way we're perceived. We care about all of these vanity type things, right? It's not just vanity, by the way, but it's important. So if you notice, people who are really successful, they typically have some sort of public awareness of what they're doing. Let's take a Gary Vee, for instance. Um, we know Gary Vee posts every day, right? He's out there every day. Now, if Gary Vee just went dark, you would be like, what happened to Gary V? Is Gary okay? Like, what's going on, right? Uh, we have other podcasters that put out daily content, daily shows. The consistency is such an important aspect of building a brand or building a reputation that just that one alone, ideally you have good content too, but being consistent is probably the most important thing to outlast the others. Um, that's, that's a telling thing. So I think that's an easy non-negotiable. Then I think you have to break it down to the fundamentals of your business. The reality is, is we only, our business is set up on doing real estate deals. If we don't do a deal, we don't really have a business. 
I have nothing to put an investor into. So nothing moves until we have a deal. So finding a deal and taking the steps to consistently pursue deals, um, that's another non-negotiable. So we always have to look at that and ask ourselves each week, well, what's preventing us from doing a deal this week? Okay, well, we didn't analyze enough deals. Okay, well, how do we do that? Well, we need to you know, get more deals flowing into our, our system. So we kind of reverse engineer those challenges and try to review it. And um, oftentimes we can't control the outcome. I mean, you have off, we have sellers who have told us they will sell and we spent two months, we're still trying to get under contract. Um, yep. We have deals where brokers have told us we, we, you know, they like our offer and we're going to get it and nothing. And there have been times where you reach out to try to get some deal flow and no one has anything, you know? Um, so there are things that we can't control, but there are other ways around that because again, the pivot is you can expand markets, you can expand your criteria, you can, um, you know, look at other ways to increase your deal flow. You can create your own marketing program or your own, you know, um, direct to seller uh, campaign. So there are other things that you can always do. Um, so for us, it's about just constantly evaluating those things um, and make sure we're not taking so much on our plate that um, nothing moves forward, but trying to figure out how do we, what is the challenge that we're facing and how do we, how do we uh, overcome that obstacle? I love the just really distilling it down to really simplicity in terms of, you know, in your business, as an example, nothing moves until you have a deal and asking yourself a great question of, hey, what's preventing us from doing a deal this week? Because at the end of the day, that's really the fuel that runs your organization. And so I know we can all ask that question of ourselves and of our business and really kind of distill it down to what are your non-negotiables from with that said and automate them to a certain degree. So ton of wisdom there. And John, man, I want to be really respectful of your time and uh, transition uh, really quickly. I know we've done this once before into our rapid fire rare air questionnaire, but maybe you'll have a slight different uh, approach here in thought process uh, today, but we did talk about a couple of books last time. I'd be curious to know, are there any other super impactful books that you would share? I know I see the beautiful bookshelf behind you uh, that have been impactful for you and your business. Oh man. So, you know, there are a lot of books, right? We love to read and I have probably three times as many books on my phone now as I found the audible is just amazing for me to plow, plow through these books. Um, and it's always constantly getting better at skills, right? Um, so there are a few different books. I'm trying to, I know we talked about atomic habits last time for sure. And did we talk about can't hurt me? I can't recall. We did not actually. No, All I don't right. think we did. Yeah. So can't hurt me is another book that was just amazing. And I, I, uh, I like, I like to read physical books, but, um, this one in particular, the audible is, the book plus a podcast after each chapter. And it is impressive, man. I mean, this guy, David Goggins goes into great detail as far as, you know, what was going on in the chapter, his mindset, he provides some context that probably wouldn't have been as cool in the chapter. Um, but it's a great read and his personality is just a, um, a great one that, that jumps off the, the page. But then also when you're listening to him, um, you really understand his story and uh, it's, it's remarkable. So anyone who feels like you can't do something um, or you're struggling, uh, it's definitely a great book to check out. So Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. That's another really great one to check out. Yeah. And I've heard that the audible version is absolute must listen. So, uh, and it's definitely... long though. It's long. I will is say it? it's like 13 hours. So okay. it's, it's not like you're going to put it on and check it out in a couple hours. Like it's a 13 hour wow. session. So it will take you a week or so, or maybe a couple of weeks to get through it, but it's really good. 
Absolutely. So uh, we'll definitely put a link in the show notes there. Um, but, you know, we've already, we actually already talked about this. How do you best elevate your life on a daily basis and how do you elevate others around you? So I'd be curious to know beyond that, what is your driving force? If you had to distill it all down, you know, with everything that you do, what's the driving force behind what you do? Uh, transformation. You know, um, we kind of started this conversation by talking about uh, my childhood and hustling, trying to, to, to make 15 cents on some blow pops. And um, those 15 cents were big, man. I mean, it, it may not sound like it. I know I'm an adult now, but I don't mean big from like a child's view of 15 cents. I mean, we struggled to put together a few dollars. I mean, I remember distinctly having field trips where I needed $5 and I would go ask my mother um, and she didn't have it. She would call, you know, her brothers and other people and see who could give me five bucks or she'd have to give me her parking money, you know, to, to do it. So that, that notion of me pocketing my, my bus fare money, it wasn't me being like shrewd or me being, um, you know, just entrepreneurial really as much as it was necessity. I didn't know if not, when I would need $5. You know, I just didn't know when I would need it. So going back to that kid in some ways, you know, I, I still see that kid from time to time when I look in the mirror. You know, I still see the kid who um, struggled and hustled and always did it by the book, though. You know, always, if you tell me the rules, okay. Now, sometimes I didn't know and I, you know, you can assume, but always did it by the books. Always was clean, was always trying to do things the right way. Um and I realized it was bigger than me. And that, that kind of goes back to the working at gym. In some regards, that should have been my highlight. You know, I made it to corporate America. My father worked at a Buick dealership growing up. So for me to be the Buick ad manager was a huge deal. I was in co headquarters, corporate. You know, my dad was at a dealership working the parts department. So this was a huge transformation from one generation to the next. But the reality that I started to see was that while it was great for me, I couldn't really impact the next generation or even my parents and the other folks in the community. And um, it was a missed opportunity. So I say transformation because with what we're doing in real estate, we can impact the residents' lives. We can create generational wealth. And this is something that I don't have to worry about somebody firing me. You know, I don't have to worry about falling out of the political alignment with someone and no longer being his guy and getting shipped off to some other department. Um, so to me, that's, that's huge. That's the transformation where we can keep shooting. I mean, we can miss and keep shooting, you know, and that's the beauty of this thing is that there's so much upside and the downside is somewhat, you know, it, it's mitigated, you know, the downside is really mitigated. Um, and I think the transformation of, of lives, of generations, of families, of communities. It's powerful, man. And it, it excites me and I'm happy to be a part of it. And I believe that this is my calling to help other people understand the power that, and it's not just real estate, but truly the power of taking ownership of your situation and taking the necessary steps to, to change that. Transformation, my man. Mic drop if you could. Uh, but that was absolutely, I could feel that that was real. And, you know, that's the power of elevating, you know, on a continuous basis is that you can transform yourself on a daily basis. You can transform, you know, not only a generation, but 
you know, maybe even more than that. And the ripple effect of what you do has an impact on so many others, whether it's your family, uh, so on and so forth. And, and I know that you're doing that, John. And uh, man, it's been a lot of fun to have you on the show today. Really appreciate you taking the time. Tell the listeners, you know, how they can stay engaged with you and, and find out more about you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can check us out uh, twice a week on Target Market Insights. That's our multifamily and marketing podcast. And then we have our Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit coming up May 16th and 17th. Super excited for a great list of speakers that we have for that event. You can just check out MidwestRESummit.com to get more information there. And if you are interested in multifamily investing, one, Tyler's a great guy. You should talk to him about it. But if you want to see a sample deal, I do have a special download on our website of a sample deal package. Just go to casmancapital.com and you can download our sample deal there. Absolutely. We'll put links to everything in the show notes because you definitely going to want to stay engaged with John. You definitely want to listen to his podcast and go to the summit, check out his website, download the free material because there's a ton of wisdom there. Obviously, this is this is the real deal here. And, and I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. You know, uh, take notes. I'm sitting here taking notes because man, it's like, I, I need to start implementing. I need to implement, you know, what are what are my what are my non-negotiables? What can I automate? And, uh, you know, what's that big question? Uh, what are we moving forward? What's preventing us from doing that deal this week? What's preventing us from, you know, really moving the engine of our business uh, and, and really kind of moving that to the top of the priority list? So I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because repetition is key. Share this with somebody else because the teacher learns the most. That's really how you anchor in your own understanding. But of course, the most important is to take massive action because, yeah, it's all about your mindset. It is about your psychology. But if you don't take action on the information, you have no power. And so, you know, that's what it's really all about. And, uh, you know, what I would also encourage you to do is screenshot this show and tag John, tag myself, tag Elevate Podcast, tag Target Market Insights and share this with somebody else because you have the opportunity of paying it forward. And with that said, uh, John, thanks again for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun and continue to do what you're doing, man, and elevating the game. Absolutely. Elevate Nation, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a real estate investment firm formed by myself and my partner, Brian Flaherty, where we invest in multifamily real estate communities across the Southeast United States. If you'd like to learn more about our approach, our mission, our acquisition criteria, and how you can learn more about future opportunities, visit cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit tylerchesser.com.